Computer, initialize Holosuite. and welcome to another episode of The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. I am one of your hosts, Perry. And I'm your host, David. Tonight we're talking about Season 3, Episode 7, Civil Defense. Before we continue, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and now YouTube as The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. Absolutely, and as I say every single week, you should find us and follow us because we are a good time, and that good time just got better with the addition of our youtube channel we will be changing up how we do content so sometimes it will be live broadcasts of the actual podcast when you're listening to for example or it will be something um a little bit special which we like to call the fire caves after dark so it's kind of like a behind the scenes us kind of doing like a general chat about all things trek uh and some other sci-fi stuff that interests us and just you know us so you get more of us which how can that possibly be a bad thing (laughs) but as david said tonight we are talking about the episode civil defense this is the seventh episode of the third season and it's a surprisingly good episode and we're going to get into why i say surprisingly good here in just a minute but first i'm going to give you our recap let's do it so this episode starts off with um actually one of my growing favorite characters jake we got <laughs> we have jake and o'brien together and they're working and they're in some kind of dirty dingy room which we find out used to be the uridian ore processing um plant on the space station Mm -hmm. so we find out a little bit of back history about the space station before it was deep space nine when it was called terra nor when it was under the control of the cardassians and this area was used to again process this incredibly volatile ore um and in order to process this the bajorans were forced into basically slave labor to move this ore through the station get it processed get it refined and so forth we find out from the chief this was actually a very grueling process. A lot of Bajorans died working in this area. So we know this is not, you know, just ideal work at all. But they have a plan, of course, as Starfleet always does, to turn this formerly oppressive, terrible place into something positive and productive. And we're going to, you know, spruce it up a bit. But first, before they can do that, they've got to clear out the old computer programs that are there. And that's where Jake comes in. We find out that Jake has been working with O'Brien to kind of gain his own expertise in, you know, general uh, Starfleet stuff. And they're trying to clear out these computer programs. There's one program, one subroutine, he says, that he can't just seem to clear. O'Brien comes to take a look at it to figure it out. And he accidentally trips an old security um, failsafe, which causes the room to go under lockdown and everyone in it. Including also, Cisco. Important to note, yes. Yeah. I was going to say, also important to note that Cisco, good old Commander Ben Cisco, has come down to visit with his son, and he now gets trapped as well. Gets there just in time. <clears throat> to get just in time to be stuck, <laughs> right. This triggers an automated kind of defense system, and we see Gold Ducat's face appear in a pre-recorded message, which is telling the Bajoran workers to surrender and to not rebel, and if they do so peacefully, they will not be harmed. Well, of course, there's no Bajoran workers, there's no one to surrender, there's nothing, and everybody's kind of in confusion as to what's going on, um, but now we that's essentially the plot. Let's figure out how to get out of this trapped room. Um, we then find that this message wasn't just local to Cisco and O'Brien and Jake, but it's gone out over the entire station. Kira and Dax and Bashir are in ops, they get a similar message, and they're kind of just confused as to what's going on. They try to rescue Cisco and company from the room, try to beam them out. That doesn't work. And that's when they find out that, yeah, once again, the whole station seems to be under this lockdown. Dax begins to try to gain uh, an upper hand over the computer. And while she's doing that, um, she ends up tripping another uh, countermeasure, which severely burns her hand. So effectively takes her out of her ability to, like, help at all. 
This also ups the ante on the insurgency program because while she was doing this, Jake and everybody else was trying to escape from the ore processing facility. So now we go into level two, which locks the whole station down and erects force fields, which now we know locks Odo and Quark in his office together, mm -hmm. which led to a pretty funny scene between them. You know, Quark's like, you mean I'm trapped in here with you? And Odo's like, no. I'm trapped in here with you. So, you know, just kind of reversing there. Um, so this continues on for a little while until they realize that there's, since no one is going to be able to actually surrender, the program kicks into its next phase since no one was, because since no one could really call the Cardassians to input the code to issue the all clear. Right. Um, this <clears throat> triggers the releasing of a deadly toxic gas, which is pretty much going to kill everybody unless they stop it. Kira decides the only way to really stop it, well, with the, with the help of the other officers and ops, of course, talking about it, they are going to destroy the life support system. That will buy them at least 12 hours to figure out a, another solution. She does this, but this immediately triggers another, um, upgrade in the program. So now instead of having 12 hours, they have two because the self-destruct has been um, initiated. We get another automated message from Gold Ducat, but then shortly after that, we get Gold Ducat himself, who yeah. appears on the station. And he says, imagine my surprise when I was on patrol somewhere else when I got a distress call from me telling me <laughs> about the revolt of the Bajoran workers on Tarek Noor. So here I come. Now, it's also important to note in this, Garrick has also joined our friends in Ops because as the only Cardassian on the station, he still has access coach, which allowed him to move through the station. He can't help anybody. He can't really do anything, but he can at least move through the station. Right. He's joined our crew in Ops in an attempt to help out, and he also inadvertently triggers yet another protocol in this program which leaves everybody having to duck for cover or else they get vaporized yeah so Ducat shows up Ducat talks to Kira and basically says I will stop this from happening if you let me put a garrison of troops on the station and she's like yeah no that's never gonna happen you know that the Bajoran government and the Federation would never agree to it and he's like yeah but I mean once my guys are there you're never gonna get rid of us so who cares? <laughs> and she's like, yeah, I'd rather the station be blown up than give in to you at all. And uh, he's like, okay, we don't have to be hasty. You've got 30 minutes. I'll give you 30 minutes. Think about it, right? He yeah. goes to try to beam out only to be stopped by yet another program with, that was built into his program. Right. And it's a new um Cardassian, Cardassian officer, video. Yep. who's basically, who was, I guess, Gold Ducat's superior way back when he was in control of Tarek Noor, and he's like, you have disgraced yourself. You clearly lost control of the station, and now you're trying to leave like a coward. Well, I have erased all of your command codes, and I have blocked your transporter. You are stuck here, so you are going to die with your shame. <laughs> so this, of course, pisses Ducat off, because he was the man with the upper hand, and now he's there's nothing he can do. Right. He's in the so, same boat as everybody else now. Yes. So now they have to figure out another way to deal with this situation. Um, Ducat comes up with a plan basically to overload the system prematurely to shut everything down. But even doing that, it's not going to totally discharge all of the energy from the self-destruct. It will at least allow them to have communications back with the rest of the station. So they go through with the plan. It does give them communication back. They're able to make contact with Cisco and his group. And they realize that Cisco and his team are closer to the main control area where they can basically reroute the shields to disperse this energy that's getting ready to either blow them up or not if they don't get this done. Right. So Cisco and O'Brien head into one of the Cardassian versions of Jeffrey's tubes, these little cross bases, in order to get to this particular area to diffuse his energy. O'Brien gets knocked out, but he's later saved by Jake, who disobeys his father and crawls into this space and pulls um, O'Brien uh, out. Mm -hmm. uh, Commander Sisko makes it to the other end and just in the nick of time is able to reroute the system so that the energy is dispersed into the station shields, effectively not killing anyone. Right. Um, it's all kind of a, you know, that breakneck 
get there in the last minute, but he doesn't. He manages it. Because, of course, he does. <laughs> he's our hero. Right. And then, of course, we're left with everybody just kind of, you know, going back about their daily business. And we have to, you know, get rid of Ducat, which doesn't take much because it's Ducat. And then we're left with Odo and Quark basically talking to each other as they're now free from um, Odo's office and uh, free to move about the station. Right. So that is essentially the episode. That is a highly condensed summation. Um, but again, we're only here to give you the highlights. If you want, you can go and watch the episode. You'll get the full version. And you should go watch this episode. It's actually a lot of fun. So um, go watch it. Then come back and listen right. to us. And you'll enjoy it. Yeah. So what did you think of Civil Defense? <laughs> I thought it was a fun one. It... Uh... The, the real highlight of the episode is when Gold Ducat is strutting around in ops because what happens is is one of the subroutines when it's triggered in in ops you know when I think it's when Dax damages her hands or around that time uh, that triggers the system to say oh ops is compromised uh, so it 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 um, the uh, um, tra- not the transporter the the food the replicator. Thing. Replicator. Dang, I couldn't think Man. of it. The replicator, instead of replicating food, replicates this you know, ball-like thing that starts shooting phasers. Shooting phaser beams, yeah, right. It's like a, a, like a target drone. Yeah, it like kills a poor guy. <laughs> and then right after that is when Gold Ducat shows up, and he's standing in the middle of the room, or actually like right in front of this ball of death, and just casually walking around, gets himself a, a cup of tea, and meanwhile, this thing is shooting at everybody, and Kira's, you know, trying to hide behind a pillar, and Garrick is all squatted down, and when Gold Ducat sees him, he's all like, ah, ha, ha, I never would have realized, uh, and I never thought I'd see you, you know, cowering like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, all of that, and then he goes, well, you know what, I've given you my ultimatum, I'll give you... In 30 minutes, the, 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 the station will blow up or whatever. So in 25 minutes, I'll come back and see what you have to say, Kira. And then he tries to beam away. And he can't. And it was the greatest moment of, oh, crap. <laughs> right. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. It and it was yeah, watching that watching that smugness, that arrogance drain away and be replaced with fear. Yes. Was great and was, great acting by Mark Alemo, who plays, of course, Gold Ducat for us so well. Right. Um, once again, I'm going to give credit to the casting crew for uh, the actors that they chose for these roles because I mean, I I couldn't imagine anybody else in them, but these guys, like, I feel like they really gave great performances um, all around. Like, I mean, we right. see different episodes that feature different people, of course, and they do their, you know, they do well, but they also do very well together. Now. I do know that Deep Space Nine is is the one show that had the most classically trained actors um, right. on it in its cast, so I, I'm sure that that has a lot to do with it. Um, a lot of them came from theater backgrounds and things like that. Didn't have a lot of um, like I guess TV experience per se. Now, of course, Avery Brooks was was Hawk on you know Spencer for Hire and then also on the spinoff A Man Called Hawk. Um, you know, but I'm saying he's probably he was probably the only one who had like a very the most TV experience. Yeah. And that would be, I would say that'd be very close with, um, Renee. Um, cause I know Renee had a lot of experience. He was on mash and then he was Benson as well. So, uh, yeah, he had a couple of different shows as well. Um, but I think okay. those, they're, those two are the only ones, um, that had like extensive experience before some of the others. That's all. Gotcha. I didn't realize he was on mash. I, was he? He wasn't one of the main characters. Was he it? was in Mash the movie. Oh, uh, okay, okay, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, he was the priest, I believe, in okay. Mash. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. And I, I don't, I'm not sure if he ever reprised the role on the TV show. I never watched the TV show. Um, I saw the movie with my uh, with my grandfather um, a long time ago. I'm surprised he even remember it, but uh, yeah, okay, I, I, that was him on there. Very young Renee Abergenois on MASH. But yeah. Okay. Um, but then Hawk, that was another show that I watched with my grandfather. He was a big fan of 
um, Spencer for Hire, and he was Spencer's partner, and then he got his own spinoff, and it was A Man Called Hawk. Didn't last that long, but it certainly put Avery Brooks on the map, and he did a lot of other things until, uh, obviously, he then became, you know, Commander Sisko. Gotcha, gotcha. But yeah, um, I, I, I love this episode, and it's one of those that, like, it does the things that I like the most, which is when you see the crew having to talk and collaborate with each other. Right. I love that stuff. I, yeah. I don't like it when, I mean, it's not that the other stuff isn't good, but I mean, I love seeing character development and considering the way that the original series and Next Generation were were run, it took a lot longer to get to their character development than what we get here in Deep Space Nine. I mean, we're yeah. in season three, and I mean, we know so much about the back histories of pretty much all of the characters. There's not a whole lot of blank slates to us anymore, and we're in season three. Right. I don't feel like we got that same kind of development in Next Generation until we were well into like season five. Oh. So, okay. I mean, I just feel like you didn't really learn a whole lot about characters until then. I mean, by by the time you reach season five and Next Gen, we had, you know, of course, we'd met. Deanna's mother several times. We now knew about Riker's father. We knew about Picard and his and his family. Like, but it took so long to get there, you know. Okay. And then, and, and still, we didn't really see the crew by and large having to interact with each other. You you would get pairings, of course, Picard and Data, or or, or Data and Geordi and and things like that. But like four and five of them together having to work together and and talk a lot. Didn't really see that a whole lot. Here, it's we see we've seen it several times. So that's all I'm saying. I I like those distinctions. Gotcha. Okay, I was gonna say this episode definitely feels more like a TNG episode in many ways because they have to solve a problem. You know, it would be the ship that had like the, the this episode felt like oh like when, an episode where like the 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 not the inner what's the core called uh, the warp core yeah the warp core what like the warp core is having a problem um this is very similar uh but this one's different in the sense that it's not of course you know a ship it's a station and it's not a federation ship it's a cardassian station so they're having to deal with a very unique problem compared to tng um and keep in mind that with this one nothing is necessarily broken these they're dealing with a situation where it's all sabotage this is all messed up subroutines and not having proper access codes and things like that. Whereas right. on, you know, next generation and like using your analogy with the warp core, typically that is the result of some kind of catastrophic malfunction. So it's about writing a wrong versus this one being, this was intentionally designed. It was a way of keeping another race in power right here. Yeah. So there's a, that's a fun distinction. I feel anyway. Right. Um, I I just I loved and I loved watching Jake be a part of the action. Too, yeah, because we don't really get to see him do much. Yeah, one thing you uh, didn't really go into detail, which is fine because you're giving us the highlights, is that when they're when he O'Brien and Cisco are down in there having to escape, uh, he beat the smallest of the three, goes up the tube and uh, has to work with his father and O'Brien to find out how to open up a escape hatch. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is very important because that gets them into a place where then they uh, find some – is it Deridium? And Deridium more. Mm-hmm. And they, they open up a panel and they are use the, 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 the light or the electricity to start a uh, – make an explosion. They like have a little line of uh, – like they, set, they, they, they blow up some, some of the material so they can escape. And that means that they're also available to actually do the final step of saving the station when uh, Cisco – uh, it has to crawl through to the side and moves all the little, uh, what, what do you call those things that they have to shift around all the little, Oh, the isolinear rods. Yeah. I always, I have to say, I mean, it's nice to have a visual thing for them to have to deal with, but it always feels a little silly to me, especially in this one where it's like to save the station, you have to remove this here and plug it in there. It feels like a glorified switchboard from the 50s where there's right. a lady there standing. Please wait while I connect your call. <laughs> well, Please so wait this while, is I, a, while I save the ship by, from blowing up. <laughs> this is a this is a great callback to an earlier TNG episode, which was um, The Naked Now, in which the crew got 
drunk basically they were right. they were because of the virus or whatever and someone in engineering had pulled out all of the oh, it's young, data chips it's young mr crusher who does because he's well he, no he doesn't pull them out it's actually another uh tech in engineering who pulls them out but wesley has made the problem more difficult because he has put up a personal uh oh, reflector beam yeah. or whatever right he's he's turned his uh handheld uh, tractor beam into a reflector pulse so no one can right. get in um and so yeah they have to they have to basically short out the power so they can get in there and then data has to go in and Redo sort everything all of them. Yeah. super quickly right and so yes that was kind of the uh, a similar scenario here where um cisco has to pull the rods and he's got to compare them and make sure they're the right program and whatever else and then move them into the right slot. So he's he's manually realigning the the computer pathways right, right. so that this can all this can all work. I like the fact that there's like this distinction in the technology. You know, with the Federation you get these long, you know, rectangular uh, chips. Right. You know, and, and then, then here the we are, are the rods. Yeah. Yeah, these circular, you know, amber colored uh, crystal rods or whatever right. they are that they're made out of. I right. I like that. Yeah, again, it, it works in a visual sense. It, mm -hmm. it makes it more, you know, there's Cisco grabbing one, looking at it, and then placing it down. So there's more of a tension there. But on a purely, like, logic sense, it feels a little silly. It feels a little too analog, <laughs> if, yeah. that, if that word makes sense uh, in this context. So, but again, it's it's a visual medium. It makes sense for there to be a visual thing. If, 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 I mean, so many shows, so many movies, you have the hacker and they just, you know, the camera just points to their face, and they look intently at the screen, and you hear some clacking. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I solved it. No, this one we have a visual. There's having to be actual physical something done that we can see. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, also that when Cisco saves the, the the station, he does it right in like right at the last moment, and it reminds me of Galaxy Quest when. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. It always stops at one. <laughs> it always stops at the last second. Yeah, because uh, the countdown always stops right at one second left. So and they didn't have a timer quite like that, but they actually kind of did. I don't know. It, it was one of those moments. They where, made it work, right? Yeah. They, it's a it's a classic TV trope. They yeah. solved the problem in the in the Nick last time. second. You yeah. know. Which I mean, how that's not PTSD inducing for people. I mean, <laughs> if I was the station commander who was always having to solve the problem and always got it. And, just the nick of time. I mean, I would be yeah. so my nerves would be so shot. Yeah, PTSD you know, I would just much. be like, yeah, like yeah, I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, just I want to yeah. go. Home. Yeah. Um, a lot of that scene, like the build, like you know, watching Jake and O'Brien and them escape, and you know, then they get up to the next level and they're ramming the door, trying to you know, uh, bust it open. A lot of that scene had me asking. Just how strong is Cisco? Because if you if you watch, like he's doing things that don't quite make sense. Like, and it also speaks to how his his, his how his mind works and his um his command style. He's very hands on and he's very much a let's hurry up and confront the problem. He's literally got them ramming this trolley into the door, hoping to. Bust it down, right. and I was watching and thinking, you know, if if Picard was there, there they never would have tried that, right. not at all. They would have right. stared at it. It was a closed door. We know that it came through there at some point. Yes, he would have been interested in trying to figure out how to get the door open, right. but he definitely would have been looking for a a control panel, a mechanism of some kind first. And yeah, it, I don't think it ever would have crossed his mind to grab this thing and just start ramming the door, you know. <laughs> And then Cisco later he he rips the handle off of the trolley to right. give it to O'Brien, and then later on we see O'Brien has been trying to pry a panel off using that handle and can't do it. And, and it's not until Cisco yeah. comes over and helps him right. that they're able to get it off. And I'm just like, what is he? <laughs> because he's he's the only one who seems to be forcefully able to do anything. Is this show going to later reveal in later seasons that the whole time Cisco was actually some sort of superhuman the whole time? We never knew it. He was the the product of a secret, you know, project that we didn't hear about until they reveal it in like season 6 or something. <laughs> I I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. 
Um, and he, I mean, he, even in the rest of the episode, he goes through, like, he makes it through the crawl space when O'Brien, now granted, there are explosions involved, but still, he makes it and no one else does. And then Jake, following in his father's footsteps, is able to lift up heavy O'Brien and backpedal, pull him out of the crawl space. Right. So whatever's going on in the Cisco family genome, we need to, somebody needs to check into that because they're a little too strong for their overall (laughs) size and demeanor. Maybe their earth, you know, if they, uh, the station has a lower gravity for them. I don't don't know. I'm just making stuff up. (laughs) Nice, nice in universe explanation. Right. Yeah. That's it. So now we have to talk, of course, about Ducat and Kira. Let's do Those it. two together, um, surprisingly fun, but mainly because Ducat is just so damn creepy. Yeah. <laughs> and the way he was kind of like leaning over the desk when he was first talking to Kira, and he's just, you know, you really are ready to let 2,000 people die just because you don't like us <laughs> like you know a very veiled he didn't want to say us he wanted to say me, me yeah. and he's just he's so into her trying to get her into him and she's just like I would rather die <laughs> yeah what do you think of the two of them together their, their scenes and, and so forth yeah it was, it was definitely funny I think there are times when I feel like the character of Kira being so kind of she's she she's very intense which is at times one of her great strengths but there are times too when you need to put that up against a a character who can help play that a bit and gold ducat in this scene is is great for that he uh he could provide some of that um like that back and forth um which is why again when he ends up in the same boat as everybody else it's hilarious i mean really i was laughing out loud in that moment where he is standing there looking around and realizes that he's just, I mean, he was just strutting around literally 10 seconds ago. I mean, having the time of his life strutting, legitimately yeah. strutting. He was just imagine my surprise when I got a yeah. message from the me. man makes himself tea <laughs> in this scene. Yes. It's great. He sits at Cisco's desk, which was previously his desk. Yes. And he sees knocks the baseball. The, knocks the and baseball he off. It. Yeah. He flicks yeah. it off. Um, he's having the time of his life, and then he's suddenly not. And uh, Man, he was making fun that. of Garrick, and suddenly he and Garrick are just screaming at each other because they're both stuck. <laughs> oh, their back and forth was also great. And we yeah. find out a little bit more about, really, about both of them. We know, now we know that part of the animosity between them somehow involves Ducat's father. And we right. know that, you know, um, Garrick was directly responsible for his father's downfall. So, um, again, we don't know much about Garrick's history, and, and right. from what we've been told, you don't know if half of what we've been told is a lie or, or what, but to see this interplay between them and the way that, you know, it's coming off, especially from Ducat, you know what he's saying is true. So we know that at some point, Garrick was of an influence that he brought down, apparently, a very powerful man, right. and that Gold Ducat has obviously never forgiven him for it. Of course. Yeah, and then of course we see Garrick embarrass Ducat when he makes it um, known to everyone that Garrick, not not Garrick, but that Gold Ducat is posturing because he's trying to get Kira interested. He's basically been strutting around uh, for her benefit. He, he's <laughs> trying to get her attention, and the look yeah. of just shock and disgust on her face when it's revealed is priceless. <laughs> I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Now, I think we've talked about this a little bit before, but, you know, there's a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff, you know, a lot of different documentaries and, like, little um, um, interviews like that the actors have given. And Mark Alamo, again, Goldicott himself, has stated several times that he was very much interested in uh, Nana and that he knew and that he, you know, that Goldicott was also very much interested in Kira, and he tried to play that off as often as possible. Um, Wait, you're saying that the actor actually had an affection and an interest and used that for his character? 
A bit of, yes, but it's okay. a bit of both. Like, one, it was supposed to be that Ducat was interested in Kira. Right. But in addition to that, the actor also had a thing for... Right. The other, so yeah, they it played into it well. Gotcha. Um, unfortunately <laughs> for him and for some others, that it was never going to happen. You know, she just, um, neither the actress nor her character were interested in either <laughs> one of them, basically. And um, you know, uh, Nana has even said, you know, for Kira, Ducat is kind of the embodiment, uh, the main focal point of all of her, her hatred, her animosity towards Cardassians. Right. She may and we've seen her kind of move through where she can forgive a couple of Cardassians here and there, you know, but for the most part she seems to have compartmentalized and bottled up all of her anger and aggression at what happened with the occupation and major and everything right. and focused that at Ducat. And it kind of makes sense because Ducat was in command of the overall occupation and, and the station and everything else for like the last 25 years before any, you know, before the rebellion officially ended the occupation. Right. So he's kind of been the man that was there that she was fighting against for so long. So yeah, him being able to put that down is hard. Um, Nana says, you know, in this episode in particular, that you know they were kind of viewing Ducat as like a form of space Hitler, <laughs> um, you know, and so trying to find any kind of love for such a character would have been exceedingly difficult, right? You know, and so the fact that he is all the more like oblivious to this and is just trying to woo her, as right. it were is disturbing right. and disgusting. <laughs> uh, but Nana Visitor is a lovely lady, so I can't begrudge yeah. the character or the actor. Oh, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not saying that I find fault with this reasoning. I'm just saying that he should have known it was never going to happen. Ah, well, I guess when you're a powerful man, Hitler type, you uh, might make oh. the mistake of thinking that your power is enough to overwhelm all comers. So... Well, that's one of the things I love about Ducat because, you know, before this, before this episode, we were kind of seeing Ducat in a bit more of a shade of gray instead of a clearly villainous character. We right. knew about his past with the occupation and everything like that, but we're also supposed to be seeing a rebuilding of Bajor. And, you know, one of Cisco's missions, his mission statement is to get them, get Bajorans comfortable with seeing Cardassians around again because the right. goal was to kind of bring everyone into the fold. Um, and so with that, you know, much of what we've seen of Ducat up to this point has been, it's arrogant, sure, but it's all kind of muddled because we're supposed to be moving into this new era of prosperity and everybody getting along. Right. Now he comes back with such force and he's like, oh, again, I'm going to solve your problem for you, but guess what? We're going to have a permanent military presence from now on. Right. You know, he's trying to blackmail and strong arm the situation. And obviously it doesn't go well for him. Um, so once again, putting him a little bit more into that villainous category, get to see that build. And it's great foreshadowing for things that are going to happen later on, which I'm not going to tell you about. But <laughs> Ducat has some purely great evil lines later. Right. And I can't wait for us to get to him. And they mm -hmm. and it's and it's when he's in his element like this, when he's at his most arrogant, when he's at his most smug, he says some of the most devious, horrible crap. And you're like, see, that's why we hate you. <laughs> uh, kind of conflicted at first, but now not so much. Right. Got it. Yeah. I got it. Yeah. You know? So I'm, I'm eager for those moments to come back. And he does a good job here with that. It's like, you could just solve the problem and go away, but no, you want to make this awkward and awful. Right. Great. Thanks. Yeah. This is what we needed. <laughs> yeah, he and Garrick uh, arguing was, again, a highlight. And uh, it, it's another episode where we see that Garrick has more to him than he initially lets on. He has a clearance that allows him to step through force fields. As soon as he steps through, the force field reappears. That's why he can't help people escape, because they won't stay up long enough for him to let people through. But it does mean that, well, it explains how he's been able to move through the station before when we couldn't really quite explain how he was able to get where he got. But, um, oh, well, it turns out he has access to the station in ways that the others didn't know about. Um, know, that's a great call out because remember in the episode 
several episodes back where he just appeared in the middle of Ops yes. and stepped out of the shadows. Yes. I can't remember what episode that was. Um, but I remember thinking when he when he just appeared there, I was like, how the hell did he get up there right. to this area where there should be clearance? And that's exactly what I was yeah. thinking of as I was talking. Um, but <laughs> he's always so great because he's talking with Bashir and he's talking about like, uh, I'm going to – you know, change my code to be Gold Ducats before Gold Ducats shows up. It's one of the things that they try and do, but they fail to do it, and it triggers another round of increased um, fail-safes. But as he's talking to Bashir, he's like, oh, and by the way, the pants you wanted resized or, or redone are, are waiting for you. <laughs> like, the man is no nonchalant about, you know, master spy at work. Meanwhile, my cover job is still... You know, when you want to come by this the shop, come on by. <laughs> he's he's so dedicated to the lie. It's like he, he can't help himself right. but to keep it going. And you just you know, kinda of just end up doing what Bashir does, which is just, you know, kind of roll your eyes and give him a knowing smirk and then just move on because right. there's just nothing else. Um Yeah. I also didn't like that once again Dax is incapacitated and <laughs> otherwise useless to us cuz she would have been able to figure this out like she was already on the path to figuring things out and right. they had to blow up her hands you know right. and now we're relying on Ducat and Garrick to talk us through these next phases here Well so I like, I do man. feel I mean Dax did contribute in terms of like coming up with suggestions um, so she was a participant, which I felt like she was more of a participant in this episode than like ever before. <laughs> like yeah. she didn't feel like a, a side character in that sense. And in fact, her wounds to her hands actually made sense that one of the fail safes would be that she couldn't, if she, if it sensed tampering with some item, I forget what she was tampering with, it would put up a force field around it. And, and it, when it did so, it badly singed her hands. And Bashir doesn't have his technology with him in order to immediately, you know, fix the problem. So she's stuck, uh, kind of handicapped for the rest of the episode. Um, so actually I, I like the fact that in some ways there was some, there was some repercussions for their actions. There were some, um, there was some danger to trying yeah. to do what they were doing. Um, but yeah, you're right. You know, Dax, come on, keep going. We we need we need you to really step it up. We're, keep going. Keep yeah, going. <laughs> we're getting there. We're we're getting there. I I never realized how slow they were in giving us more Dax until we started this process. Because right. I've always had um, uh, a soft spot for Dax, not right. just because it's Terry Farrell or anything like that, but I mean I've always I've just really enjoyed that character, and. Uh, it just now watching it again, I'm realizing, yeah, I mean, it it takes a while. I mean, we're already in season three, and she's probably had the least development of any other character. Right. Um, I think probably only Bashir might edge her out a little bit because I mean, there were whole episodes where I mean, like either he didn't show up or he was there just enough to like pop his face in, right. and then he was gone. You know, so like I mean, heck, he slept through the whole uh, Q episode. So <laughs> that's right. You know, just <laughs> what did I miss? <laughs> right. Definitely oh, man, use more to that. the to comic relief than anything else, especially yeah. at first. I think they were just you know they were the two youngest officers. You know, um, I think Dax was twenty eight and Bashir was twenty seven, respectively. So and then they're and they're fresh from well. Bashir is fresh from the academy. Dax has been serving somewhere for a little bit beforehand. But everybody else, they're all experienced officers. I mean, obviously, you have Commander Sisko, and we know about Chief O'Brien, and then Kira and Odo have been living and working here, right. you know, since long before the Federation showed up. So, yeah, you know, they're just kind of new, young, and trying to figure out people like that is a bit harder, I guess, right. um, than others. Yeah. But they're still great. I still enjoyed what we saw of them. In that scene where they were all cowering, one thing I've, that's always bothered me is the fact that Kira left her phaser on the ops table. Yeah. Like, she's got a holster. Weapon discipline, weapon right. discipline. Right. It's yeah. like, you have a holster. You, we've seen you take it out of your holster twice. Yeah. You fired at the door and then put it back. Then you fired at life support. And for she some reason, there. yeah, left it on the counter. Yeah. Like, I don't understand that at all. Yeah. I mean, what clever if, plot device, I guess. But yeah, still, I was going to say it was it was it was that way because then she would have been shooting at Gold Ducat. But um, yeah, uh, yeah, you're right. Weapon discipline. What are you doing leaving it 
leaving it out. Right. You're a um, trained military officer and you left your weapon that you've been carrying around literally all <laughs> your shift. And in two seconds, you decided to put it down. Right. You, you used it twice in a dangerous situation. And now you decided to put it down. Not earlier when you were having your, your breakfast or whatever, but now. Right. Yeah, I didn't like that at all. <laughs> and it, I mean, it's I've never liked it as many times as I've watched this episode. Every time, it's one of those things that kind of just makes me itch a little bit. It's just like I can't believe she would she would do that, right? You know, yeah. it would have been better if she had tried shooting at the 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 replicator gun thing, and it like shot the gun out of her hand, but on accident. Like it's the or, first time. She... Right, or like a force field was in front of us when she shot and it hit the force field. Oh, that, and yeah. And then kept shooting. That would have that would have been a great way to explain why her phaser was ineffective. Instead right. of having her leave it on the table, it could just been that it was there was a force field protecting the thing. Right, and, and Gold Ducat was protected by the thing shooting still. So even if she had the gun, she would have had no real good shot. And he's there talking about you know, offering a, a solution so she wouldn't have a good reason to shoot him, uh, per se. But, yeah, <laughs> I love his plan of, like, hey, I want you to give me permission to land my people on the station as opposed to just doing it. <laughs> like, if I was Gold Ducat, I wouldn't have waited for permission. I would have just been like, I'm going to solve your problem with a hundred of my Cardassian soldiers as Which backup. is a great point. Which is a great point. <laughs> he could have just done that. He could say, "Yeah, um, yeah, we're going to solve your problem for you, but I'm going to beam, I don't know, a couple hundred troops yeah. onto the promenade." Oh, I have to send my my guys to each portion of the station in order to turn off the the the, yeah. the, 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 the everything. Like I have to make sure every part of the station is working properly. You know, yeah. I I think he was a little bit. That was the other thing I was a little. I rolled my eyes at. I was like, he doesn't need to ask permission. He's got them over a barrel. <laughs> I mean, he does it as a, like, I if I get permission from Kira, then, like, the Federation and the Bajorans don't have as much of an excuse to object. Or if they do object, he can claim, well, Kira gave me permission. Um, but Yeah, but still. he also makes it very clear that, you know, like, because Kira tells him, you know that the Federation would never agree to anything negotiated over a death threat. Right. And he's like, yeah, but I mean, once we're here, we're here. Yeah. You know, it's kind of his answer. Once we're here, you're going to find it very hard to get rid of us. Yeah. Again, so it's just the like... Cardassians left the station because of political reasons back on, on Cardassia, not yeah. because they were forced out by like the Federation or even the Bajorans. Uh, right. The Bajorans were certainly a, a thorn in their side, but again, it was a political uh, upheaval reason. on yeah. yeah the political upheaval on on Cardassia which got them to withdraw and if that is resolved now then there's absolutely no reason why they couldn't just go back and be an occupying force once again right so yeah he didn't he didn't need to ask a permission he just I feel like that was one of those moments where again his his ego superseded his reasoning and he just wanted to be in this room with Kira and kind of be this weird you know, cringeworthy dude again, right. you yeah. know, just for a moment. And then that, of course, leads to his downfall. If he had been thinking um, long-term, he wouldn't have been trapped without his men, which even Garrick says, you know, I've always said that your failure was your short sight. Your greatest failure was your short-sightedness. <laughs> That's right. And yeah. here he is being short-sighted once again. So, well, I just uh, love how, like, we've been seeing these videos of Gold Ducat, video after oh. video. Every time they trigger something Gold Ducat in a recorded message pops up, and he pops up, and he pops up, and then there's a video recording of his boss <laughs> telling Attention him... Attention, Bajoran workers. Yeah, well, I love it. D try to die like a Cardassian, you coward. <laughs> it's so great. Uh, Gold Ducat, oh. I don't think he ever would have thought himself a coward. I mean, I don't think he's a coward, frankly. Obviously, no. that's the wrong reason for why he's wanting to beam away. Um but uh, it's just great because you get a sense of there was a lot of animosity in the background of the Cardassians when they were leaving Bajor uh, when he a was in turmoil. charge. Yeah. A lot of turmoil going on. It, it does feed into that notion that they didn't leave because the Bajorans were being successful, but because there was a lot of political struggle, power struggles going on right. back home, you know, Um yeah, speaks to greater volumes about the Cardassians than it does anything else. This no right. one, no one knows what everybody else is doing. No, right. there's no right hand or plans left hand. It's just chaos, right? Yeah. Yeah. By the way, do you think that Gold Ducat would have 
pardoned the the Bajoran re, uh, usurpers if they had surrendered, or do you think he would immediately oh, no. walk them to a air duct or to yeah, oh, to an airlock? And <laughs> he he wouldn't even have done that. I think that it would have been. The troops, would, security forces would have moved in, they would have entered in the all-clear code, and then they would have rounded them all up and shot them in the room and brought in the next wave of workers. It's right. Like, this is what happens when you try to revolt and put them to work next to the dead bodies. Right. Yeah. I think that's how that would have went yeah, down. I think that's probably how it went down a lot. Like even even O'Brien says, you know, it was it was a hellacious place to work. It was fifty five degrees Celsius in that room most of the time. People were dropping like flies, and they just kept pumping them in and working them. I wouldn't be surprised at all. A lot of people were working, and they would just their friend would drop dead. Yeah, and they would just be like, uh, "Get the next one," and just yeah. keep pumping them through. So yeah, leaving them to you know to die would not have in any way been outside the realm of whatever. No, right. Yeah, that's by the way, that's 131 degrees Fahrenheit as a comparison to Jeez. Celsius. So yeah, that would have been. Very been awesome. I, I've <laughs> I can only, imagine dying in that. <laughs> I've only experienced temperatures that hot once in my life, and it wasn't it wasn't 132 degrees. It was 125, and I was in Arizona, and yeah, I remember stepping outside and thinking I was going to die. Like I wasn't outside for maybe five minutes, and I was like, "What is this?" Right. Yeah. Kids outside I, immediately. Yeah. Oh yeah, and I remember someone saying, "Well, at least it's a dry heat." And I was like, "I don't, I don't even understand that. <laughs> I don't understand that concept anymore." After it peaks over 115, wet, dry, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It's just hot. It was awful. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I I was there for I was in Arizona for like five weeks. And I think out of the five weeks, we had two weeks of very intense heat like that. Right. And everybody kept wanting to go out and do things. It's like, I'm I'm going nowhere. I'm staying <laughs> in my hotel room. I'm not going. I'm happy where I am. Oh, man. Much. Crank yeah. the AC and leave me alone. Yeah. It, was, it was awful. And again, the highest it got was 125. And I think, I don't think I actually went out in the 125 degree weather. I think I went out when it was like 115, and then immediately went back in. And when it was when it was 125, I was like, "You don't even have to worry about me. I'm there's no way I'm going outside." Right. So yeah, I couldn't imagine. And then you're thinking about that. You're having to like work in that, and you're there for hours. Right. And I'm sure they're not feeding them and giving them water and stuff and helping to keep them cool and manageable they're right. slaves they're right. slaves they they don't care if they drop right and die so yeah not not a great place nope. at all and now here comes the chief wanting to turn it into a deuterium refinery <laughs> so who knows yeah hopefully you can work out a better living situation there the only two we haven't talked about are odo and cork oh we were saving them oh we were saving them yes um, we were. <laughs> yeah, of course we were. Of course we were. These are two of our favorites who pop up oh, a lot. And, you know, these little side things with I, them. We and gotta have. Great. I want to. I want an episode where it's just Quark and Odo stuck somewhere together, like this episode. Oh. I want the two of them to have a a bottle episode. You know, forget the rest of the cast. Bring Cisco in at some point, sure. <laughs> but yeah, just the two of them would well, be hilarious. Well, mild spoiler, you will get your wish. Not going to tell you when. Oh, yes. Don't Not going to tell you when, yeah, but you okay. will You will get your wish. Perfect. Um, but, yeah, these two, they're great. Um, yeah. As always, Armin Shimmerman, Renee, Abergenois, doing what they do best, which is just be awesome. Right. Just be together and be awesome and give us some just great lines, great experiences. You know, um, first and foremost being, of course, when um, – they realize that they're trapped together. The force field comes up and Odo is telling him, yeah, this force field doesn't just, you know, block the door. It's going through the walls, the bulkheads. It's, right. it's everywhere. There's nowhere for me to go. Cause, cause Quark is like, well, you're a, you're a shapeshifter. Oh, my mistake. Changeling. <laughs> so change it to something and get us out of here. That's what he tells him. Yeah. And he's just like, yeah, I can't. Right. <laughs> you know? Which so makes it's, sense. It's also the, you know, the, 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 the jail, you know, it's where they hold people. So you'd want a, you know, real, real definitive uh, force field. But yeah, keep going, keep going. No, uh, you're you're absolutely right. And then, um... 
Well, we should you know, we should go back real quickly because when Cork first walks in, it's when Odo is trying to use his level six security clearance to try and help figure out what's going on, and then Quark is like, "I have level seven. <laughs> and Odo is like, "What? <laughs> you have a level a level higher than me?" And Quark uh, realizes that he uh he might have a bargaining chip. <laughs> yeah, he's Odo. like, "Well, we can maybe we can work out a deal, and yeah. I'll give you this. Uh, I'll give you this chip." Yeah. And Odo's just, like, furious. Um, But it's also funny because Quark comes in because he's like, oh, everyone's upset. No one knows what's going on. Uh, But this is the safest place on the station, so I'm going to stay here. And Odo's just like... Whatever at first. But now they're trapped. Right. And And it's like, uh, yeah, if you had just gone back to your bar, you could still be there right now. But now you're stuck. (laughs) In some ways, I feel it's good that he wasn't in this bar because I think Quark would have instigated some sort of riot to get off the station. (laughs) Yeah, he would have been he would have been trying to use his own computer terminal to figure out his own way around things. He probably would have made the situation a lot worse. So. With Which, him honestly, being contained. As, you, as you talk and say that, part of me wishes that it also would have happened in this episode in some capacity. <laughs> like, part of what happens is Quark screwing it up. <laughs> but, right. Oh, well. <laughs> well, that, that would have been funny if, like, the people, everybody in ops is trying to figure out, like, why the program keeps resetting or reinitializing <laughs> to a new level. Right. And it's because Quark is down in the promenade poking and prodding stuff and he's making things worse. And that's part of the whole problem is, like, you know, Quark's uh, approval codes, like, out of date or something. And that's part of why it's mad at him. Yeah. It's like, hey, this approval code is out of date. We're instigating level five. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, it would have taken them forever to figure out that it was him. Yeah. Odo would have strangled him right then and there. But, um, but yeah, that moment where Quark is like, I'm stuck in here with you. And then Odo turns around and says, no, no. I'm stuck in here with you. Or Yeah, you I'm it? stuck in here with you. Yeah, it reminds yeah. me of the line from uh, Rorschach in The Watchmen. Which uh, you might remember when yes. he's in prison, and yes. the one prisoner comes up to him and is about to try and like mess with him and you know do the. He whole throws the hot grease on his face, and he says, yeah, "I'm not stuck in here with you. You're stuck in here with me." It's <laughs> <laughs> like, oh boy, Odo and Rorschach. The two of them, they are very similar characters. They are both yeah. highly justice oriented. One yes. from outside the law, one from inside the law. They would have been a great team. <laughs> I don't think they would have gotten along. At all, because Warsack is way too much of a ends justify the means type, Fair and and Odo is very much a he seeks he's looking for that true justice. He's looking for that balance. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. remember, he gives that passion speech. You got Cardassian rules, you've got Federation rules, but justice is justice. He's right. that's that's his thing. Right. Um. I also love the scene between the two of them, you know, Quark and Odo. He's just like, you know, why would they, they erected the force field? Why would they go through so much trouble to keep people out of the security office? And he's like, it's not to keep people out. It's to keep me in. Right. They, the Cardassians clearly never trusted me. They consider me a security risk. And uh, Quark's like, yeah, and you know why? Because you're an honorable man and they would right. trust you to do the right thing regardless of circumstances. Right. And now, because of that, we're all going to get killed. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, it's funny, too, because then, uh, Odo follows that up by praising Quark by saying he's the most devious Ferengi he's ever met. Yes. And then at the end of the episode... He reveals that that was not true. He was no. just saying it to be nice. <laughs> As they're walking away, the episode ends with the two of them walking out on the promenade. And Cork's like, what? What? Who do you think is more devious than me? The Grand Nagus. He's like, yeah, okay. Your brother yeah. Rom. <laughs> Rom? Your cousin Gala? Yeah. The one with the moods? Mood? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, he he takes it so seriously i love that that's his that's the thing that's gotten into his ferengi feelings is that he's not as devious as everyone thought or as odo thought or told him he was anyway Uh, he's and then uh, also again great quirk and odo moment he's like i should have listened to my father he always warned me this is going to happen and odo's like what spend your final hours in jail i could have told you that all right like Man, everybody, he's he's scared, man. Don't be a dick. But he can't help it because he doesn't like him. And it's just, I love their interplay so much because it's like they do seem like they hate each other. But, man, do they, like, compliment each other mm-hmm. so well. Yeah. It's rare <sighs> to see that on with two people on opposite ends. You know, Quark always the schemer. 
Odo trying to be the, you know, embodiment of law here. <laughs> and, they're, and they actually do well together. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I look forward to that episode you're telling me that they're together on. Because either they're going to be, like, a great, you know, they're together they're able to accomplish a lot because they're both so yin and yang of each other. Or it'll be a great comedic episode of the two of them just having to stew together. It'll probably be both. They'll probably if the episode's good, it'll have both elements. But I, I think I think that. it's a good episode. I think it's a, it's a nice solid episode. Yeah. Um, but speaking of solid episodes, again back to civil defense. This episode actually caused a lot of problems behind the scenes. Oh, um, yeah. According to you know our showrunner and developer Ira Stephen Bear, I think it's the first time we've actually mentioned him. By the way, um, he talks about how this episode was just a real pain for them to write and put together. Apparently wow. there were several different people who had their hands on this one. The plot was rehashed multiple times. A lot of them were shot down by the executive producers on the show and the controllers of, of, uh, of Star Trek at the time. They just didn't like the various drafts that they seen. And they just said that by the end of it, everybody was kind of, you know, wringing their hands and scratching their heads and feeling very frustrated about this episode before it finally got greenlit. And even then there were, there were just problems. And so, you know, uh, again, Ira describes it as um, uh, a painful and disgusting process to get this episode out. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, which I find so interesting because I'm like, this episode is actually pretty good. Like, I enjoy it. There's so many different things about it that are enjoyable. So, I mean, I I always wonder how much of this was like a cut and paste. Like, they took elements of this script and that one and that one and that one and kind of smashed it together and this is what we got. Or or what, considering so many revisions that were floating around there. But it does turn out great work. I would imagine that it probably just took a lot of time to figure out how to make all of the the steps. You know, like the increasing danger, the increasing level two, level three. You know, all of that. Figuring out all the details of that and then making it work for a plot of an episode took some some iterations. Yeah. yeah, I imagine it was just having to work out the kinks. This episode requires – it's a high-tension episode. That it starts from the very beginning. Um, you know, I, I one thing I mentioned is when it when it first started with like – you have eight minutes, Bajorans, to give you your surrender. And we – I don't know if we mentioned it, but like Cisco like does f- surrender, quote-unquote, yeah. um, which, was, which was great because he's like, all right, I'm the Bajoran we- leader. We surrender. <laughs> and this, and then Dugal Dukat's video comes up and he says, great, you know, we're going to have some, some Cardassians uh, come in there and, and fix it. And, you know, uh, it's still got a problem. Um, but I was I, when it said eight minutes, I was like, okay, well, is this whole episode going to be like the countdown of eight minutes? Like we have. Oh, man. Yeah. Okay. Like I see we, what you're going. We, we like condense it down, which was obvious. I mean, that's, that was the initial thought I had. Of course, that's not near anything like what actually happens. Kind of a, a pre-24 yeah. episode. Yeah. Yeah. 24, man. That, that, I only watched the first season of that show. It broke me. That first season. I, I never, I never watched it. I remember hearing from other people about the never-ending countdown, and I was so <laughs> thoroughly turned off <laughs> by the premise right <laughs> i was so thoroughly turned off by that premise i never watched it i just when i heard about it i was like nope <laughs> yeah the uh it was so intense but it's you know it's 24 episodes because it's, it's one hour for every and like every episode has to end with the cliffhanger in order to keep it going so the idea that this all happens within one 24-hour period yeah like not only was i exhausted but i was like how does this jack bauer guy and then at the very end, the the final twist of the of the episode was like, okay, I, I couldn't I couldn't do this again. This is back when I was in high school, by the way, like, oh. way back when. But mm-hmm. uh, I know that show went on for like ten seasons. Like it was on for a long time. Yeah, I may I may get there one day. I mean, obviously, I'm I'm all about like watching old shows and stuff. But right. uh, yeah, I may get there one day. Power pooping. Not- those, that was the that was the show. Where it was like, how does he get to the bathroom and it's in that twenty four hour period during commercial oh, breaks? <laughs> oh. So, final thoughts on civil defense. A fun one. Um, I do think that it until a uh, Gold Ducat showed up. I think it it it's a little slow at first because it's it's, mm-hmm. it's taking its. 
because they're like trying to figure things out. And so the tension is kind of ramping up. Um, and of course, part of it, I guess for me is like, I guess I'm a little jaded with shows because like I know things will work out in the end. So some of the tension wasn't there, which is again why I mentioned that when Dax got hurt, like that was actually a good thing for me because it, it felt like there was some actual tension. Um, people could, you know, this, 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 uh, computer program is dangerous. Um, but yeah, uh, Gold Ducat, I think Gold Ducat and Garrick steal the show, but I also love the fact that it was Cisco who finally pulled out the, the, the win. Like it was up to yeah. him to, to make sure things worked out at the very end. He saved the station. That's very important. I feel like him as the main character, the captain doesn't get enough of those moments of yeah. being the guy to really bring it home. So. Cisco as the lead has kind of taken a back seat right now, but I think that's because we've been doing a lot of world building and also character building. Right. And I think we're we're finally getting out of that hump of having to do that so much. Right. And so now we will get into more things that are about about the world itself that they're in and driving that whole story forward, the bringing right. Bajor into the Federation. What's the standing with Cardassia? Now we've got the threat of the Dominion. we got to get all these things together because that's the bigger story that we need to tell. So right. I think we're wrapping all the other stuff up and we are returning more to that central storyline of, again, you know, Cardassia, the Dominion, Bajor, so forth. Right. So looking forward to a lot of that. Right. Well, I think that's going to do it for us tonight on the Fire Caves, at least for this episode. But for those of you listening, if you want a little bit more, we are going to be doing some um, Fire Caves After Dark stuff tonight. So if you want to tune in live, you can. Just go over to our YouTube channel and join us here in just a few minutes. Otherwise, you can um, just listen to that whenever you want. Just access, again, our YouTube channel. But until next week, I just want to say the same thing I say every week, which is take care of yourselves. Thanks, guys.